Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flocks that is under God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Good morning again. We are here for uh, session four, talk four. And so if you're following along in the booklet, we're on page 14, Talk for New Leadership. And please have your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, we'll be working through that chapter together in this last talk. And let me pray for us as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we confess that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And so we praise you and we thank you that you have laid on him, our Lord Jesus, our iniquity, our transgression and our sin. And we thank you for providing us in him the shepherd, the chief shepherd, the leadership that we need. And so we pray that you'd find us this morning as your sheep listening to your voice, ready to trust and obey. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever stood around and watched a bunch of three-year-olds play. It's good fun. Usually goes okay for a while, a minute or two, sometimes longer. Sooner or later, though, it usually descends into some kind of chaos and an adult needs to step in and help them sort it out. They just don't have the skills yet to be able to negotiate difficulties and work out problems and find their way through challenges. And maybe you feel like it's not that much different in our world uh, or in your workplace or in Australian society. I guess after all, we are really just three-year-olds in bigger bodies. Uh, and without the guidance and the order that leadership provides for us, we descend very quickly into all kinds of messes, don't we? Leadership matters. I think we know this. Uh, just instinctively, and perhaps it's one of the reasons why we're all so fascinated with the antics of our political leaders. Uh, we know that leadership matters. In a world that often feels chaotic, we look to those kinds of leaders for stability and guidance 
though so often we look in vain. And if that's true out in the world, it's also true in the church, uh, perhaps especially when the church finds itself under pressure. Peter, you remember, is writing to these churches under fire. They're in exile in Pontus and Gala- uh, Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. They're in exile, having been cast out from Rome. They're aliens and strangers in the world, living in Roman colonies, being expected to live according to Roman ways, worshipping Roman gods, and they don't fit. And so they're undergoing severe trials. And the good news that Peter has for them in this last chapter, which is good news not just for them, but also for us, as we face various kinds of pressure, is that God hasn't left his church without the leadership that we need. He's given us his own son, the chief shepherd, to lead us and to guide us and to feed us and to care for us. And he's also given us, under the chief shepherd, other shepherds, elders, to lead us and to guide us while we wait for him, the chief shepherd, to return. And so in this final passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter speaks to three groups in the church. First to the elders, uh, and then to the young men, uh, and then to everyone together. And for each of these groups, there's a command. Shepherd God's flock. Submit to the elders. Stand firm. And for each of them, there's also a promise. In fact, it's the same promise each time. Sometimes it feels like it's a bit of a gory world, but glory is coming. That's the promise. Glory is coming. Glory is coming. So trust God and hang on. And so we're going to look at God's word to those three groups. And I'm going to spend the most time on the first group, the word to the elders, because that's the longest part of the passage. But I don't want you to switch off, even if you're not an elder, because this is part of the context in which we all live together as God's people. Uh, And so uh, it's important for all of us to understand how God has designed the leadership of his church. And soon enough, we're going to get to God's word to the rest of us anyway. So let's jump in. Peter starts, chapter 1, verse 5, to the elders among you, and then he appeals as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Back in chapter 1, right at the very beginning of the letter, Peter introduced himself as an apostle, one who had been sent out by Jesus himself to carry on his mission in the world, making disciples of all nations. That's what the word apostle means, sent one, one who has been sent And so Peter, like the other apostles, had a unique role to play in God's church. After all, the apostles had witnessed Jesus' life and death and resurrection with their own eyes. That's what Peter says here. I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Peter saw Jesus die. He was there at the empty tomb. He was present in the room when Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection and proved to his apostles that he was alive again. He was there on the mountain in Galilee when Jesus sent them out with all all of his authority in heaven and on earth to make disciples of all the nations. And so Peter was direct as a witness of the Lord and directly commissioned by the Lord. And so Peter's distinct and different from the leaders to whom he's writing. Uh, None of them, none of these elders and, and no church leader today can say anything like the kind of things that Peter could say about the things he'd seen and the words he'd heard. But here in chapter 5, Peter places himself alongside the elders. And he writes to the elders among you as a fellow elder and also as a witness of Christ's sufferings who will share in the glory that's about to be revealed. You see, although the elders in these churches in Galatia and Cappadocia and Bithynia and Asia are not apostles, the job that God has given them to do 
is similar to the job that Jesus gave to the apostles. There's a lot in common between the two. And so Peter gives the elders a command to carry on the heart of the work that the apostles have been doing. It's short and simple, but it's full of significance. And here it is, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed, here it is, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Where did Peter get this idea that the elders should be shepherds of God's flock? Well, scan your mind through the Old Testament. Are there some famous shepherd passages that come to mind? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what we read there. Uh, scan through your reading of the New Testament, think about the Gospels, Gospel of John. Jesus says somewhere there, I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10. And so across the Old Testament and the New Testament, God speaks of himself as the shepherd of his people and of his people as his flock or the sheep. He announces that he's the one who, like the good shepherd, knows the sheep and leads the sheep and feeds the sheep, loves the sheep and cares for the sheep and nurtures the sheep, protects the sheep from their enemies and ultimately in Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. He's our chief shepherd. He's the leader we need. Uh, so that's certainly in the background here as Peter is writing to the elders and, and encouraging them to be shepherds of God's flock. But I wonder if there's also something more direct in Peter's mind than that. Do you remember where Peter was at Jesus' trial before the high priest? He was outside in the courtyard warming himself by the fire. And do you remember what happened there? As Peter was questioned by a servant girl, weren't you with him? Aren't you one of the Galileans? And three times Peter denied it. I don't know the man. I'm not with him. I don't know the man. And then do you remember what happened a little bit later after Jesus' resurrection when Jesus appeared to some of the disciples on the beach in Galilee? And Peter was there. They were out fishing in the morning and, and they saw a figure on the beach. And Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore. And there they found Jesus cooking breakfast for them on the beach. And then Jesus took him for a little walk along the beach and three times asked Peter the question, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter, three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what did Jesus say three times? Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. John 21. That's the kind of memory when you're racked with shame and guilt for your denial of the Lord who when he comes to you and restores you and then commissions you, that's the kind of memory that sticks in your mind. Feed my sheep, that's the job. Peter knows it well. And so now Peter is passing on that same command to the elders. Elders under the chief shepherd, under the Lord Jesus himself who is the chief shepherd of his sheep, that's your job. Shepherd God's flock. Feed my sheep. Know them, lead them, feed them, love them, care for them, protect them. Lay down your lives for them if you must, like Jesus did. Be shepherds of God's flock. So how do you do it? Well, Peter gives the elders here three points, at least. I'm summarising them as three. First he says, you can't do it alone. You need to do it as part of a team. Look at what he says in verse five, chapter 5, verse 1. I appeal to the elders. Notice that's a plural. To the elders among you. And that's the pattern we see actually everywhere across the New Testament as the apostles set up elders in the churches. 
Uh, if you want to have a look, for example, in Acts 14.23, we see Paul and Barnabas appointing elders for them in each church. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul addresses the elders. Again, it's a plural of the church, singular, in Ephesus. And James, as well, as he's writing to the churches uh, under his care, commands the elders, plural, of the church to gather together and to pray for the sick. And, and we could be, keep going because this is the pattern you see that the apostles established all across the churches in the New Testament. Down through the ages of church history in our church practice, we've sometimes got a bit mixed up about this. Uh, and many churches have a single minister or a single pastor who has all the authority and who bears all the burden for teaching and caring for, for the people of the church on his own. And it's a recipe for disaster. There's only one man who can carry that kind of burden on his own, and it's Jesus. No one else is up to that task. And so when we set up our churches like that, it's no wonder that we have such high rates of burnout amongst our ministers or pastors. God's given us a better way here through Peter the Apostle and through Paul and through James and across the New Testament, teams of elders working together to shepherd God's flock, sharing the load. Of course, each of them is going to do it according to his own gifts and life situation. And some of the elders will be paid so that they can work as an elder full-time, and we call them ministers in the Presbyterian Church. And it's right that they, in particular, take on responsibilities above and beyond the other elders. I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a minute. And it's going to look a little bit different in each particular local church, but, but the point is pretty clear, isn't it? Leading the church is not a one-man job. There is only one man who is up to that task, and that's the chief shepherd. And so in his wisdom, he's appointed in his church this pattern of team leadership. Elders working together, shepherding God's flock. Not alone, but as part of a team. Second, Peter says, shepherd God's flock, not from a distance, but up close and personal. Look at verse 1 again. I exhort the elders among you. The elders are living amongst the people, sharing life with them. Verse 2, shepherd God's flock that is under your care. Chapter 5, verse 3, care for those who are entrusted to you. You see, the idea here is that the church is divided up amongst the elders so that the elders know who they're leading. They have a list of names, people they pray for, people entrusted to them people they love, people they visit, people they welcome into their home, people they share their life with. The picture is very clear here, as it is everywhere in the Bible, that to be a shepherd of others, you have to know them. You can't do it via remote, as it were. And they have to know you. You can't be an elder from a distance. To shepherd God's flock, you've got to be up close and personal. This is why all the way through the book of Acts, we see the apostles visiting people in their homes. It's a one-to-one relational kind of ministry and in the same way that principle applies to all kinds of pastoral leadership and ministry in God's church doesn't it if God ever gives you a responsibility in teaching kids or leading on a camp uh, or teaching scripture or wherever it is that God calls you to lead and to serve uh, this is the principle that we learn from the chief shepherd to lead people and to care for them you've got to know them it can't be from a distance it's got to be up close and personal. And this is especially true because Peter says next to the elders, verse 3, be examples to the flock. This is the bit that terrifies you if you're a Christian leader. The elders especially, and Christian leaders of all kinds, are to be people of exemplary Christian character who live like Jesus and show those they lead what it means to be a Christian, not just with their words, 
but especially with their lives. Of course, even though they're called the given example, elders and other leaders also struggle with sin. And so part of the example you've got to set, if you're a Christian leader, is the example of how to sin Christianly. (laughs) Yes, you heard me right. Sin Christianly. How do you sin Christianly? Well, with repentance. (laughs) So it's just a fact that until the Lord comes again, all of us, our leaders included, are going to struggle with sin. And so all of us have got to learn, our leaders included, how to sin Christianly, which means keeping short accounts with God, finding sin rearing its ugly head in our lives and turning away from it, rejecting it, repenting of it, seeking again God's forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And that's part of the example that we need our leaders to show us. And so the elders lead not alone, but as part of a team, not from a distance, but up close and personal, not for themselves, but for others. Look at verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, the temptation in any form of leadership is to do it because of what's in it for you. To use it as a means of gaining money, or status, or power, or recognition. But that's not what God calls elders to in his church. It's his church, after all, not ours. And so those who lead must lead not under compulsion, but willingly. Not because they have to, but because they want to. They must lead not for the money, but as a gift to the church. Yes, of course, it's right uh, that we pay some elders to free them up. Uh, In our churches, we call those men ministers. But what the church pays the minister isn't a wage. They don't clock on and clock off. It's just not that kind of job. There are no performance bonuses. The minister in his first year out of theological college gets exactly the same pay as the minister in his 30th or 40th year out of theological colleges. And that's right, because what they're paid is not a reward for their labour or a cut of the company profit. It's a stipend, we call it. It's a living allowance. It's a living allowance to free them up from other labour so that they can spend their time labouring in the word, in doing the work of an elder in leading and teaching God's people. And so the elders mustn't lead out of compulsion or out of love for the money. And also they mustn't lord it over those entrusted to them. You see, you lead not to meet your own needs, not for the power kick, but to meet the needs of others. You you lead not seeking self-promotion, but serving humbly. Being an elder... A shepherd is about following the lead of the chief shepherd, which means it's got to be all about others. Peter didn't just teach this stuff, of course, did he? He lived it. He was far from perfect, as I'm sure you remember. Uh, Peter was always the one, the first to blurt out the wrong answers in the Gospels. I'm sure you can think of a number of examples. Peter was the one who walked on the water to Jesus and then sank. Peter was the one, as we've remembered, who denied Jesus three times. After Jesus' resurrection and, and the apostles had been sent out on mission to all the nations, Peter was the one who took too long to welcome the Gentiles so that God had to send him a special vision with the sheet in Acts 10 and 11 to help him understand that non-Jews are to be welcomed into God's family. Peter was the one who disagreed with Paul in Galatians chapters 2 and 3 and was wrong. Peter was far from perfect, but he pressed on seeking the lost, loving and teaching the churches. His service took him from 
his native Galilee and Jerusalem to Corinth. Paul mentions him in his letter to the Corinthians, all the way up in Greece. And then all the way across to Rome, where he was when the Emperor Nero in AD 64 decided to persecute the church. That's where Peter was, in fact, when he wrote this letter. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. He says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, send you her greetings. Peter's in Rome, not in Babylon. Babylon's over in Iraq. Uh, he's not there. So why does he say she who is in Babylon? Well, he's in Rome, but he calls it Babylon because Babylon is a symbol of the place where God's people spent their time in exile. At the time of Daniel, you remember. And Peter is in the centre of the empire, writing to these churches over in the provinces, but he, like the churches to whom he writes, also is in exile. It's like he's in Babylon, because he doesn't belong. You might know the story of what happened to Peter towards the end of his life. In AD 64, there was a great fire in Rome. About a third of the city was burnt down. And people started to blame the emperor Nero for starting the fire. It didn't help that not long after the fire, he cleared the ground and built a great golden palace to himself on the spot where the fire had been. And so people started blaming the Emperor Nero for starting the fire so that he could build his golden palace. And Nero wanted to deflect attention away from himself. And so he picked on a small minority group in the city and targeted them as his scapegoats, the Christians. And so he had the Christians rounded up. He had them stuck up on stakes. He had them doused in petrol and burnt alive. It would have been oil, not petrol. <laughs> And in the midst of that, he rounded up Peter and Paul. And they were to be crucified. And the early Christian writers from the next century, from the second century, tell the story that Peter didn't want to be executed in the same way as his Lord and Saviour. He knew, of course, that Jesus had been crucified. And so Peter requested to be crucified upside down <laughs> because he wasn't worthy to be executed in the same way as his Lord. You see, there's a man who, for all his foibles and failures and mistakes and setbacks, pressed on in the mission that God had given him, shepherding God's flock, even to the point of laying down his life. We're not facing that same kind of intense persecution, but God's church is always under attack. We're going to see more of that in a minute. And so God, in his generosity, has given us his own son, the Lord Jesus, as the chief shepherd to lead us and protect us and care for us and guide us. But he's also given us under-shepherds, the apostles, and then following them, elders in our churches to lead us and teach us and guide us and care for us. Uh, and I've got to say, I don't know them well, but as I've got to know them, I'm impressed with the team of elders that God uh, has given you here in this church. You should thank God for them and support them and follow their lead because it's a tough job and often a thankless job and yet they're doing it as God has called them to shepherd the flock that the Lord Jesus has gathered here and so God encourages the elders with a promise uh, and again this is the promise for any of us who take on some kind of Christian leadership role in God's church it's a promise that's going to be repeated again throughout this chapter and it's there in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, elders, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, the chief shepherd is coming back. Uh, and the leaders in God's church are only ever under shepherds. 
They never have final responsibility. They're never the final authority. And so the day is coming when the chief shepherd will return, when every eye will see him and every tongue will confess that he's the Lord. And when he comes, he'll call those leaders who have served him to himself. He'll call them to stand before him. And elders, I imagine if you're anything like me, you're going to come to him remembering your failures and your foibles and your sins. But he'll say, I've washed you clean. You'll come remembering all of the ways in which you fell short. But he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Those prayers that no one else saw, those long hours you spent preparing to teach God's word, the time you took with the kids or to visit the sick and the weak, the way you sought out those who were lost, the way you spoke out against evil and stood up for what is right, the late night conversations, the difficult words, the blood, sweat and tears. I saw it, he'll say, to those who have served him faithfully, even in the midst of their struggles and sins. I saw it, he'll say, even when no one else did. Take this crown of glory that will never fade away. You see, there's the promise to those who bear the responsibility of leadership in God's church when the chief shepherd appears. But there's also a command and a promise to the rest of us. Uh, it's this, verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Peter specifically addresses the young men. but that's, Perhaps that's because young men are particularly prone to not submit to those who are in leadership over them. Uh, but I think the principle here applies to the whole church, to everyone under the leadership of others. And the command is simple. Put your humble gear on. Verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. I don't know if you get it in Port Macquarie. I, we definitely get it in Sydney. I jump on the train every morning on the way to work and there's a whole bunch of people on the train who are power dressing. You, you can tell they've got some important meeting this day uh, or some important uh, thing going on at work because they are dressed to impress, dressed to the hilt. And Peter says, well, maybe there's some time when it's appropriate to dress up like that. But when you come to church... When you gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ amongst God's people, put on your tracky dacks and your Ugg boots, or at least your attitudinal equivalents of those things. Put, put your humble gear on. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Come ready to submit to those whom God has placed in leadership over you. And in fact, come ready to submit each one to the other. Again, I've got to say, we don't like this, do we? This is just grates against uh, our basic human sinfulness. Uh, but the Bible is clear, just as we've seen earlier this morning, that we're to submit to government authorities and slaves are to submit to masters and wives are to submit to husbands, so people are to submit to elders. Again, we don't submit uh, because the leaders that God has placed in authority over us are more important than us or better than us or superior to us. We don't submit because they're perfect. They're not. We don't submit because they never make mistakes. They do. We submit because God has put them in authority over us. Because they're part of his generosity in providing leadership for us. In giving us an ordered world to live in. And so we submit to the leaders that God has given us. All the same caveats apply that I went through earlier. Submitting to somebody doesn't mean just blindly accepting what they say. You don't check your brains out at the door when you submit. You can engage in conversation and question 
those whom God has put in authority over you. In fact, a good eldership team will love to have people asking questions and engaging with them. Uh, and I'm sure that's the case here. It's important to say, again, that submitting to authority doesn't mean putting up with abuse. Uh, and I'm happy to say that in our church, in the Presbyterian Church, there are mechanisms for dealing with abuses of authority, and that's a good and right and important thing. But having said all of that, our basic attitude towards the leaders that God places over us in the church as elsewhere should be one of humble submission. We mustn't slander them or undermine them. We must submit to them and follow their lead. Of course, the fear when you submit, if I can surface that for us, the fear when you submit, whether it's to the government or to your boss or to your husband or to the elders at church, is that you get squashed, that you'll get trodden on, that you'll get forgotten or abandoned or hurt or let down by those leaders. And that's why all of us need to hear the promise that's there in verse 5. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's from Proverbs chapter 3 Peter is quoting. It's wisdom literally as old as King Solomon. Wisdom that was already a thousand years old when Peter wrote it 2,000 years ago. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all of your care on him because he cares about you. You see, you can submit to the leaders that God has placed over you in whatever context you are in life because ultimately there is one greater and higher and more powerful with larger authority than them who knows you and cares for you and who will not let you down. So cast your care on him because he cares about you. God has promised a day, hasn't he? When the chief shepherd appears when he'll come and judge the world with perfect justice, when he'll right every wrong and expose every lie and eradicate every evil and vindicate everyone who's been oppressed and lift up the downtrodden and bind up the brokenhearted and wipe away every tear from every eye. And so you can willingly submit, knowing that there's a God who cares, a God who will look after you, a God who will not let you down. That's the promise we need, isn't it? God gives us grace to be humble because he cares for us and will lift us up in his time. And finally, Peter turns to everyone. He's addressed the elders and then he's addressed the people and now he's elders and people together, everyone, church. Verse 8, be self-controlled, here's the command, and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You see, God's church around the world is under attack and in fact it's always been that way. That's what Peter says in chapter 5 verse 9. The same sufferings that you're experiencing are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. And so maybe we do feel a little bit like my 10-year-old brother on his birthday in, Australia, in the Australian church at the moment. Maybe we do feel like this, this new pressure that we're facing has come a little bit out of the blue, but really it's nothing new. It's been around for ages and millennia. It shouldn't surprise us because God's church is his first love, isn't it? The church is his bride, his treasured possession. And so those who hate God will hate his church. Jesus told us that's how it will be. And there's an even deeper reality here that Peter takes us to, which is it's not just that there are governments or organisations or particular individuals who attack the church. 
No, behind every human attack is the devil himself, the evil one, who hates God and hates his church. That's what Peter says, verse 8, our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. So our battle isn't first and foremost against governments or organisations or individuals. Do you see that? Our enemy is not the gay lobby. Muslims are not our enemies. They are fellow human beings created in the image of God who are enslaved to the evil one. He's the enemy prowling around, looking for someone to devour. And so here's the command. Resist the devil. Stand firm against the devil. How do you do that? What does it look like? Well, Peter gives us some spiritual warfare 101. Are we allowed to do this in a Presbyterian church? I think we have to because Peter gives it to us here. Resist the devil. How? By trusting God and following his lead. You reject the devil by not giving in to his ways. You see, when you're under attack, every fibre in your being wants to fight back, doesn't it? To fight fire with fire, to fight violence with violence and hate with hate and lies with lies and slander with slander and bitterness with bitterness. And you give in to that and the devil's devoured you, hasn't he? You've become just as bad as the people who are attacking you. You've given in to sin. So resist him, Peter says. And the only way to beat lies is with the truth. The only way to fight bitterness is with generosity. The only way to overcome hatred is with love. There's spiritual warfare 101. Resist the devil. Reject his ways. Trust God and follow his lead. Well, Jesus himself knew what it was like to be under attack, didn't he? The chief shepherd, he was hated, betrayed by one of his closest followers, abandoned by his friends, rejected by the religious authorities. He was spat on and mocked and whipped and cursed and crucified. You know the story well. And through it all, how did Jesus respond? He turned the other cheek. He went the extra mile. He responded to the violence with gentleness He returned hate with love. He prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When we're under attack, when we're under pressure, when we're in the firing line, what we need is a leader. And praise God, he's given us in Jesus the leader who we need, the chief shepherd who has laid down his life for us and also shown us the way. So whether we're in some leadership role in the church or not, Ultimately, all of us are his sheep, his followers. All of us need him to lead us. And so the task for us as we close in 1 Peter is to look to him to give us the leadership that we need. And when you do that again, there's a promise. In fact, it's the same promise that we've already seen twice already in this passage. To the elders, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. To the people... Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand so that he may exalt you in proper time. And now to everyone, verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. 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 I'm going to pray.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you've given us the leader that we need in your son, the Lord Jesus, our chief shepherd. And so we pray that you would give us strength to look to him. We pray that for the elders among us uh, and for all of us as your people, that we would first and foremost be people who know how to follow, who know how to trust. Father, we can't do that on our own, and so we pray for the strength of your spirit. And that as we follow Jesus' lead, uh, we pray that you would transform us and make us more like him. And so give us strength to resist the devil, to stand firm in our faith, and to give glory to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.